The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. You can live life on your terms at home, work, play, and in the community. Join Lori and industry leaders as they share practical insights with you so you can reach your goals and enjoy your life. Here's your host, Lori Lynn Green. Good morning. Welcome to Anna Together. This is, um, let's see, what is the day today? Today is Monday, November 23rd. Welcome to the show. We're glad you're tuning in. Co-hosting me with me today is my good friend, Lynn Nato. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. And we are excited about our guest today. It's someone I've come to know here in New Hampshire. He's kind of an adventurer, I guess you could say, because he chased his first tornado when he was a young man. And now he, his wife, and two sons have been chasing hurricanes and tornadoes across the country as a family. Uh, he's studied meteorology and received his Master of Science in Geography uh, in a geography department while doing research work in hurricane climate risk assessment and GIS work for FEMA. He also served in Florida with emergency preparedness and evacuation process and procedures. He was the New England Director of Disaster USA and writes a weather blog called The Morecast. So I'd like you to welcome Ron Moore. Welcome, Ron. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody's doing great here. Hey, thank you. Good. Glad to hear it. That sounds like a pretty good syllabus there reading. I like it. I want to meet that guy who chases storms. Sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do sound pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, actually, um, so you, you've you been uh, working with me a little bit on my local show here in New Hampshire. And uh, I, yeah. found, I have found you so interesting to be able to take weather, history, and science, um, even some biblical um, relevance to sure. weather, and share that. Yeah. So I was just curious. You wanted to start today off with a uh, little bit of he- uh, U.S. history in- with weather. Yeah, actually, and since this is a you know a show heard around the world, there's a couple of things I'd like to hear. You know, today we hear about all the drama, big storms hitting, you know, unprecedented. That term gets tossed around a whole lot, never seen before. And um, if you know history, uh, you know that's not really usually the case. Usually, there's been something there already. So, first of all, I'll mention what they call the Great Appalachian Storm of November of 1950. The big deal, it dropped a lot of snow here in the eastern U.S., but that's not been that far ago, you know, 50, 65 years ago. But, the, but this storm, the big deal about it is winds were 160 miles an hour in the high mountains of New Hampshire in that storm. Here's the even bigger deal. Concord, New Hampshire, had winds of 110 miles an hour downtown. Did quite a bit of destruction here in New Hampshire. That's 1950, Thanksgiving week. So in pretty recent history, we've had some big storms. Again, when I hear people talk about, oh, I haven't heard a windstorm like that, haven't seen this, haven't seen that, we have. Usually we're just going through cycles and rhythms, and if you know the history of things, you can see things coming back up. The other one was the, the great storm of 1703, which was a Great Britain storm. Uh, this thing, what makes it really important is the fact that it really messed up the shipping for two weeks out in the Europe area. And uh, the shipping lanes were a big deal back then, obviously, between what was becoming the new colonies and Great Britain and even down into Africa. 
Uh, that storm was hugely destructive, and it's a benchmark for storms today. If you think 1703, that's pretty much before we had the industrial age, pretty much before we have all that we have today uh, contributing to climate, and yet we were having these big monster storms back then. The other big deal with that storm in 1703 is it's the first one to be taken official weather records through the, the barometer. They were actually getting barometric readings from that storm. as one of the first times they did it. And it's pretty cool when you think about our, our ancestors, our forefathers, foremothers, if you will, they actually had the foresight to write stuff down so we could look at it later and know this wasn't the first ever. These things come around. If you're aware of them, if you know they're there, you can be prepared for them. So history history is good to know. Yeah, it's really good to know. And, and when, it, when it's relating to, um, you know, we can, we can follow patterns because of history too, can't we? Yes, absolutely. And, and in most areas, in any, any arena, whatever you're in, you absolutely can go back. I actually heard something that was really funny on TV the other day. They said people are going back and buying all the vintage stuff. They don't even want the new stuff. And I thought that makes sense because the old stuff actually lasts, you know? Uh, and, and, and it does. What you've seen in the past, what we've made in the past, is usually a repetitive cycle. And again, if we can, if we can, that's what we did work with FEMA in Florida. We were trying to find pattern recognition in weather and in hurricanes because they tend to hit the same areas or miss the same areas. And if you know that, that matters. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a big deal. And it also, you know, when they come along, you know, this isn't the end of the world. That's something you just got to ride out, come out the other side, and you'll do just fine. So they do use different different ways to measure weather these days than they did back then. <clears throat> they do. Um, actually, we use much more technical means, satellite radar, which are awesome. Uh, the, the computer modeling we've developed the last 60, 70 years has just been incredible to actually model weather as it's moving around. You know, what used to take a group of meteorologists five or six hours in the morning to make a weather map takes a supercomputer 20 seconds to do. So we've come so far in that area. But you've always got to be careful not to dump history, not just start dumping. And I was in a meeting recently here in New Hampshire, and they said we're in a new climate now that can't really be modeled because uh, we've never been here before. This is a very unique type of weather pattern. And not so much if that was the case. There'd be no sense in modeling. There'd be no sense in doing anything with the past. Just start today with a new future. You, you can never dump the past because that is what you're putting into these models to make them work. Even old satellite, old radar, you know, old hurricane, stuff like that. You've always got to be pulling that stuff forward, and that's what really gives them the credibility they have. Yeah, so um, you were talking about that storm in 1703. You, was that Great yeah. Britain, you said? Great Britain? Yeah, it was Southern Great Britain. Uh, it was really crazy because it was two weeks. It's one I just found, if you, you know, there's thousands of storms. So talking to you even jazzed me up a little more. I went back and started researching some worldwide, from Bangladesh, you know, worldwide events. This one lasted two weeks. Thirteen two. days of gale force, storm force winds battered southern Great Britain. It had already sunk lots of ships, tore out the forest, which they didn't have much of back then anyhow. That's why they were coming to New England to get harvest the trees, you know. And um, it, it, it that. Uh, what was it? Uh, right around Thanksgiving. And, and under, well, there was a new calendar back then. It was under the Julian calendar, which is a little different than the Gregorian calendar we live under now. So the date was actually a week. What is it? A week later than it is now. Go research that. Google it. People can find out about that. But anyhow, they've been getting these winds, fierce winds, for two weeks, and it just about destroyed the economy there. And the reason we have a record of the storm is because so many people documented, so many sea captains, and their livelihood depended on it. They didn't have an agenda with the things they recorded. They did it because they knew 
people the next year be going out shipping, and they needed to know what the weather could do, what it had done, in order to, you know, save their economy, keep their country strong. And that's what I really liked about stuff back then. There was always an agenda. Uh, you know, people always had that from their perspective. But that, back then, history was really preserved in a really accurate way, which is why you had the National Weather Service, you have NOAA, different groups today trying to go back and get all this stuff because they want mm-hmm. to preserve it, they want to pull it in and be able to use that data to uh, really you know, assess what they're looking at, you know what I mean? Instead of just mm-hmm. saying, here's a little diary we have from someone, here's some real records from ships, uh, from the, the seafront towns, etc. And, and they did a good job of it. So two weeks of being battered by gale force winds just about wrecked the economy in that area. Wow, that's crazy. So as I'm, as I'm listening to you, was that actually a, a world record, that, that 13 days... Believe it or not, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Actually, what I've really been researching the last two days is, is pretty impressive. There was one in 1695, they say, may have been worse than this one, which is why they think this one was so heavily recorded, because from the 1695 storm, there's very little data, very little records. People just weren't doing it, and finally people kicked it up, and they said, you know what, we need to start archiving this stuff. We need to start writing it down so our children know what's going to happen. And believe it or not, these types of storms and events where we gave birth to science as we know it today and to the world of meteorology and climatology and oceanography, all these fields that we know today that take for granted a lot of men and women behind this making this stuff start by, by making real diligent record keeping, you know? Yeah, so that that storm in 1690, 1690 what? 95. Okay, so you said that one was worse. Um, That's what they say. I didn't have a chance to dig into that very deep because... There's very little written about it, but uh, again, the reason this one got it is because a thousand uh, seamen, what they call you know, guys worked on the sea, a thousand of them drowned in the 1703 storms. Quite a few people, a thousand deaths. Wow. The 1695, wow. just the, the records are pretty scant, but they say going by damage potential. It's funny, you know, we actually had the technology to go back and study this stuff uh, through trees and, and soil and everything else that happened during the storm. They can, they can kind of bring forward some some thoughts as to what the storm was really doing, just how intense they really were. They do it in New England, too. They go back to the colonial days. Uh, was it 1635? And from then on, we had about five major hurricanes in New England. There's not much about them because there weren't a ton of records, but we know there were some monster storms. That if they hit mm-hmm. today, it, it would be a very different story. It would look, I use this word jokingly, but it is the way we would see it. The news would say the apocalypse. Ha, huh. the apocalypse. Yeah. So back, you know. Well, so back then, I was actually just—I'm not too bright. Sometimes I was just thinking that back then, when you keep talking about shipping, I'm thinking yeah. it's actual shipping <laughs> with real ships. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is, and they were—they were sailboats back then. You know, they were smaller. They yeah. weren't what we had today. We rigged out some pretty cool stuff today that can handle these storms. Uh, back then, they were—they were pretty small. And it was yes. important. This stuff was their livelihood. This was everything to them. Uh, today, we, we complain about it because you know, maybe it stops us from going to the grocery store and knocks off a day of work. The kids have to stay home from school. We have to figure out what to do with that. Back then, it was life and death, the real deal, you know? And, right. and so they, they took a bit to them. It was extremely important to record these things properly, which is why I love history in any arena. History just tells us so much. Wow. That is great. So you, you actually... Um had an adventure yourself here in the States chasing, uh, chasing storms that motivate you today. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so you, 
you've had a where'd you get your interest in this was it as it as a child because you your family or yeah i grew up in a minister's home my dad was a pastor um and it was really blessed because my parents encouraged me to read and study i pull out science books i love to read those we traveled the country different churches different states got to experience different weather and i love science of all types yeah, I mean, you've talked. I was kind of the nerdy type. I loved all the science. I had it hanging in my room, and it just kind of narrowed down finally to meteorology. Then it narrowed into storms. We moved to the Great Plains as a teenager, most of my teenage years out there. And uh, out there, there's, it's weather. That's, that's you know, pretty much what you're going to watch. Not a lot of other things to do. Um, and that's where I chased my first tornado back in 1980, yeah, the Andrews, Texas storm. And um, from then on, it just kept going. Every spring, me and my friends would go out and do it, stay with me. I got married, and my wife wanted to. In fact, our third, she could correct me, second or third date in uh, North Florida in Gainesville, uh, she's from the Lake City area, uh, was chasing a storm on the sea breeze. Nobody chased those back then. Sea breeze thunderstorms in Florida were just after them. Now they do. There's whole crews that go after them now. In fact, they go out with the Doppler dishes and the whole bit now. But they're just these monster storms on the sea breeze. So it was our first chase down there, gotten some hail and stuff, and we continued. We got married, we had kids. And the kids wanted to go. Obviously, we kept them safe. Isn't that dangerous? I said, anything you do without knowledge and understanding is dangerous. If you have knowledge and understanding, you can exercise wisdom, and it's not dangerous. And so we, we did that. Now they're older, and they still go. In fact, we're planning our next trip for May. So, yeah, we've done a lot of that. Hurricanes and tornadoes. Wow. So so there's a, re- so there's a reason you, you love this stuff. <laughs> Cause, yeah, mean, there, you were- there is. You know, and I guess I should sit in here, too, because some folks may be listening and say, well, that sounds really uh, cool, but also crazy. Was there any anything behind it that was scientific? Yes. When we started doing this before I met my wife, I was with the Weather Service. They have a thing called Skywarn Spotters, and, I, and I'll give a shout-out to that right now. They still have that program everywhere all over the nation. They train people to spot severe weather and then call that severe weather into the Weather Service. Here are the eyes and the ears for the Weather Service. Uh, they see something on radar, that doesn't confirm it. It's your eyes on the ground that confirm that event. And there's, police aren't everywhere. Uh, weather personnel, meteorologists are not everywhere. And so that's how it starts. We go out in the field, you position yourself, you tell them where you're at, you call on a pay phone. Yeah, I see a tornado, golf ball size hail. So it continued. Now it's mostly digital. Now we, we don't call anymore. We go on Facebook, you know, go to their website straight to it. But I would encourage the listeners out there, if you've never done that, check out your you know, National Weather Service website, Here's one to you. And check out their Skywarn programs, and they do it for snow, for hurricanes, for storms. It's a really good program, and it's really helpful to the society at large. You can really help to save people's lives, you know? Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, yeah. So um, I'm actually looking at we get about three minutes for this segment. So um, you said that what there was something that motivates you today, though. Oh, yeah. You mean the storms today? Yeah. We see happening? Yeah, I think the thing that motivates me today is the fact that I see meteorology, all the science is kind of being stuck in, uh, I guess the best, here's the best way to put it. People today think we're seeing the worst weather ever when some of the worst storms occurred way back in the past. What I'd like to be able to do is bring all that forward for folks to be able to see and compare those to storms that we have today. See what that looks like. What did a storm 200 years ago in the same place look like one that happened today that we think is the end of the world scenario? And, um, and that actually brought me to my whole love of the Storm Warning and the book series we've written that we started off with, the Storm Warriors, things like that, to, to educate people, but in a fun way, so they can actually be prepared for this stuff. So it became more of a life-saving thing, if you will, 
in the beginning it was exciting. I love the study of meteorology, but now if it can help save lives and prepare people, let them know storms will come, but you can be ready for them, and you can not only survive them, you can thrive in spite of these right. things afterwards, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a different perspective of how you look at them, and um, we're going to get further into that as we move on. Yeah. Um, so uh, how, how do things, you know, I guess we have like two minutes, so I don't know if you wanted to kind of mention how people can get in touch with you anyway. Yeah, let, let me, yeah I'll do that. So they can go to thestormwarning.com. That's our, uh, our website. We're rebuilding that, doing some new things to it. It's got a blog. It's got pictures. It's got our chase adventures, all that kind of cool stuff. Uh, they can also look at our book, which is an ebook right now called Storm Warriors, Saving a King. That's on Amazon.com. That's an ebook. That's the Storm Warriors, Saving a King. Really cool one. These kids go back in history. We've actually sold a number of them. People really enjoy it. More to come out on that, too. I'll also say this, too. We were in, I was in Virginia Beach for Isabel, uh, Hurricane Isabel, back in 2003. And I remember watching that storm hit, and they were comparing it to previous storms. And even the mention there was it flooded the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, all that. And some people listening may have been through that storm. They were comparing that to past storms. Again, knowing what his hit can prepare us for the future. They'd have been one hour sooner on some of those tunnels blocking them from flooding. They may have been able to stop it. The city did their best. The state did their best. But knowing the past can certainly help us in the future, and that's what we'll dig into. Well, that's really interesting. Um, for some reason, the clock is just not the time frame that we normally have, so I'm, I'm trying to work around it. Um, anyway, good. all right, well, that's good. So I, I think we'll just close out this segment right away and, and move on to the next one. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about your past storms and some of the present dangers and how to be prepared for anything. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, you could say. All right, so we'll be back right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune in to the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. 
This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. Call during our live broadcast with questions or comments at our toll-free number, 1-866-472-5788. Or email Lori anytime at info at laurielynngreen.com. Here's your host, Lori Lynn Green. Welcome back to In It Together. We've been talking to storm chaser Ron Moore. Very interesting stuff about the history of weather. And right now we're actually going to get into a little bit of past storms and some present dangers and maybe how to get prepared for anything. Why don't you go ahead and take it away there, Ron? Will do. Yeah, one of the things um, I've chatted with you a little bit about and others is that there's this, there's a new thought kind of going around, and I know a couple of my friends have mentioned this. They said, well, aren't, aren't we in a new pattern of climate that really can't be forecast? Uh, it doesn't really have a historical record. In other words, we're kind of in a new era here. And I said, yeah, not really, not really. Uh, things can still be, you know, from the past can still matter a lot. And, and as we said, there's nothing new under the sun. Most people do know that if you live long enough, you begin to encounter that kind of thing over and again. So the first thing to do is recognize that, the past does matter, so for you to know the local storm climatology for your area, the storms that have hit where you live, and how they impact your area is very important. For instance, the northwest coast of Florida, and even Jacksonville, doesn't get hit by hurricanes. Most people don't know that. Jacksonville is a very protected city from hurricanes. On the other hand, Miami gets hit, it used to get hit, at least, and it probably will come back around. The averages mean over a span of time. They get hit every three or four years. So if you go move to Jacksonville, you probably won't get a hurricane. You move to Miami, you probably will. So then when you do that, if the future is predictable, which we believe it is, based on these types of things, history and cycles and all that good stuff, then you need to be prepared for what can happen in your area. When I first moved to New Hampshire from Florida, Florida is very flat. There's generally not many hills, so it's just kind of flat when the winds come in from a hurricane. Most people don't know the higher up you go, which is why high rises are very dangerous in a hurricane on the coast. You watch the Weather Channel, any other group, they'll tell you the same thing. You'll hear them talking. The higher up you go, you're getting into the wind field. Uh, If you're in a canyon between buildings, the wind gets accelerated and speeds up. Those are good things to know. So in New Hampshire, uh, New England, for instance, where you have high hills, guess what? The speed, the winds get higher. You build a new home in this area, and say you're over, say you're at 800 feet, which is a beautiful place to be, right? You're overlooking the valley. You're also mm-hmm. right in the target of the winds, too, especially if you're south-facing toward the waters, you know, toward the south coast of New England. It exposes you. So what I told some of my friends up here, I said, make sure you've got some protection there. Make sure where you build, you don't have trees that are going to come slamming into your home and things like that. Uh, ice storms are the same way. Just be prepared for them. And it's amazing. You know, these guys and girls have lived here all their life, and he said, I never thought about that. Well, uh, it's not that I'm a genius, just knowing how weather patterns flow and how storms, winds blow knowing the local climatology was helpful. These guys, they went out and actually did some of that trimming, and they said, man, it made a difference. My dad did it in Florida because he lives on a little hill. He cut down all the trees around him, and everybody thought, what are you doing? Sure enough, the hurricanes of 2004 hit. His house didn't get hit at all. He had some trees come down, but nothing hit his property. And that's, that's a big deal if you want to keep you and your family safe, if you want to keep your business safe. 
and I think I mentioned this to you one time. I don't know if we did it on the show, but really important, when you've got your stuff, your, your storm preparations, your food and everything in your house set aside, which many people today have actually better prepped than they were two years ago for, you know, for a big event, put it in a couple of different places where you can get to it. Because if something does happen to your house, a tree hits it or something, you don't want to lose all your supplies. You'd like to have a couple of locations where you can go and get your emergency gear. And, and it's, just, it's just a common sense thing, you know what I mean? That's, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> yeah, it, it um, really is. And it's a simple one. You, know, you just got to do it today. Go get some stuff, put it in your bedroom closet, put some at the other end in the utility room, and just leave them alone. And then when the storm hits, you're kind of covered. Make sure you know where your flashlights are. And again, a lot of this you can pick up from FEMA, from NOAA. You can go to the website. They have great lists of these things and how you can do this, you know, and, and do it in a really effective way. Now, you had mentioned that you storms are predictable through history and through cycles. Tell us a little bit about cy- cycles. Cycles get more complicated, but it's been said there's a 40, 100, some people think a 1,000-year cycle, and these can land on top of each other, and et cetera, et cetera. So you've got three components to what drive storms, okay, and drive the atmosphere. And, and most people agree on this, okay? You have the ocean, which is huge. That's a study of oceanography. And um, that, that's a huge component. If the ocean's warm, they cause all kinds of things to happen. By the way, the oceans are a huge tank for CO2. It's a big conversation about carbon dioxide, how that affects the atmosphere. The oceans and the trees suck all that stuff out of the atmosphere, so a lot of it gets absorbed into the oceans, okay? But that's one of the drivers. Then you have the atmosphere itself with all these chemicals are moving around and chemistry happening and physics, and you have clouds and storms and all that. Then you have the sun, sunspot activity. And that's one area I got into the last few years, really didn't study it much as a student at Florida State or a researcher because I was mostly atmosphere and we worked with oceanography. But sunspots have a huge influence. And In then what way? Further than that, Lori, guess what? Volcanoes. Volcano goes off, it changes all kinds. So there's a lot of drivers to this thing. And I will tell you this, let this slip out, and I'm, at this not for me, a lot of guys will see this. The next two years we'll probably see a big ramp up in tornadoes and hurricanes. The next two years, we'll probably see a lot more storms because of the cycle we're coming into. So, you know, just be prepared. Start preparing now. Wow. So, so you can tell that just because of the cycles. Yeah. Again, so many acronyms. You got AMO, PDO, North Atlantic Oscillation, ENSO, El Nino, all these things you probably have heard swing around in the media as terminology. Any one of them is worth a PhD. I mean, that's how complicated they are. Right. But... But through numerical modeling, as you said, computer models and the new toys we have today and tools to use, we can actually look at this stuff, and, and amateurs can actually look at it. And some of this stuff, I am amateur. Some of these things I look at, I didn't study that much because some of them are even new since I came out of Florida State 11 years ago. This, this stuff has advanced, you know, even the last mm-hmm. year or two. It's really good stuff. But again, to apply that, say, okay, here's what all this fancy tool work show us is going to happen. What did history say happened? And I can give you an instance that it looks like compared to things happening in El Nino seasons, seasons and where we're at right now for November, how it's been very mild the first part, there's very likely to be a big nor'easter next week, the week after Thanksgiving, somewhere in the mid-Atlantic in New England. There'll probably be a big major storm based on pattern recognition. Uh, based on, you know, the models are actually picking up on it now. But if the models say it and history says it's already happened in a time like this, then you've got two confirmations. And two is right. a good number to go by. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think so. You know? yeah. yeah. 
So meteorology um, in history, you said you have here that in the 1800s, oh, they always use history as a guide to the future. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much all they had, really. I mean, the guys, girls too, that had to look forward in science, whatever field it was, really had uh, the past and the notes they had, but they always had to be forward-thinking people. They had to think of things outside of chaos because everybody around them believed everything was so chaotic. In fact, meteorology is is probably the newest science out there. Of all the sciences, it's the newest one. Uh, It wasn't many decades ago, even in the mid-1900s, it was still kind of looked down on. It was used in the World War, World War I and II, Vietnam. The military made great use of it, but it still had not been accepted. Most people might not know this. I don't remember the exact year, but the early 1950s, to issue a tornado warning was against the law. Did you know that? I did not know that. You wow. could not <laughs> issue warnings. And a guy in Tulsa did it. I uh, can't remember the guy's name. I actually tried to get a letter from him the other day. I tried to buy it off somebody, and they, they wouldn't let go of it. And I said, I loved it. He's the first guy to issue a tornado warning on the Tulsa News that evening. He saved a lot of lives, and he was almost picked up by the feds because he had Are issued you- a tornado warning. It was considered non-scientific. You couldn't issue warnings like that and be really effective at them. And there's some great books out there, been written recently by the people, that actually document whether history. So it's really coming forward to realize it's a really new field we're in. And, um, but you can, if you go back into history. I know I, I gave you a, a couple of notes the other day. We were chatting. Francis Bacon is one of the probably most renowned scientists, a brilliant thinker around the time of Isaac Newton. And uh, he came up with the scientific method the way we go through science with theories and hypotheses. He came up with that whole thing. And, and people might not know this, that these guys like Francis Bacon read the scripture quite a bit, the Bible. They went there quite a bit because in there they found order. And they felt like order is what they needed to have to move forward. They couldn't move forward in chaos because there's no order to it. You don't even know where to begin and what your end is, right? Right. And so they began to look at this kind of thing, and they said, hey, if there's a God, if there's a creator, he must have put order to this thing, let's find it. And that's how they did it. And it's cool, because they began to lay out a pattern, and this pattern would lead in a certain direction, and it would take them where they want. In fact, there's a group called the Royal Society of London. 1660 was established. And I say that because this week is Thanksgiving week. Yay! Good, good, good food Thursday. Anyhow, <laughs> um, in 1660, it was established by mostly Puritan scientists, and he was one of them. Francis Bacon was one of the guys behind the 1660 establishment of the Royal Society. It still exists today. It's one of the most preeminent scientific communities in the world. All the greats belong to it, and it was started by men who actually believed in the Bible, believe it or not. They actually use that as one of their main code books to figure out how to move forward into science. And in a future show, I don't know when I'll give some of the more details, it was actually a lady that helped start it in her living room. I think that's really cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, in that society, obviously, the Puritans, they, they were, you know, they read the Bible and everything. They had some pretty odd stuff they did, too. But <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. anyway, re- regardless of that, you had, other, you had other historians as well, but we had about two minutes in this segment, so... Um, okay, you I'll can bring just... up another one. My, one of my favorite guys, Dr. George Washington Carver, here in the States. Wasn't a meteorologist, but I love peanut butter. I love peanut butter. And this guy's the guy who did it. And he took the peanut, broke it down, and he did soil and seed. That was his deal. And Carver's thing, and this was his approach. Like, if everybody's got their thing they do, 
uh, weird or not, I got a, a few of my own weird things. Well, chasing tornadoes is pretty weird to a lot of people, although you know, probably more fascination with it today. But but Carver would spend in the morning. He'd go in there and he said he talked to the creator. He said I went out in the field. I talked to the creator. I'd come back to my office and sit down and think, what can you break down for me? So, you know, while the guy was brilliant mentally, obviously, uh, he also took it outside of that. You know, he took it outside. He wanted to talk to someone who could give him some some ideas. And I find it really interesting. People can look at something like the ancient Bible and find some order that can actually take him in a direction that can enhance their life and bring out the best in them. And I call that finding your peanut. And so through peanuts, he built an entire industry in the South that saved many farmers from bankruptcy. Made a lot of millionaires, too. Right. Huh. So George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver. Doctor. Look him up. You Google him, he's, he's out there all yep. over the place. I'd love to have his letters, too, but everybody knows about him now. He's exploded in the last year, and I looked for one of his letters the other day, and it went, I think, for like $10,000. Wow. Well, I think it's yeah. interesting. He is talked about in history books, even in school, but they don't talk about this aspect of it. No, Bobby. they don't. And he's, in a lot of instances, <laughs> they did a thing nationwide recently. They said he had been taken out of a lot of history books. Yeah, a lot of the good, a lot of the uh, forerunners have been taken out of the history books, which really re- removes the history that we need that we're yeah. talking about today. And it yes, it really does. It really, and he, he was African American. This guy, this guy could really be an example for people today and show people how real race can come together and people can really do great things. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we'll be back uh, shortly as we get into um, why purpose and passion make a difference in this. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show. The Sharon Kleiner Hour. Health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective. Your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. On the morning of August 5, 1962, the world awoke to the shocking news that Marilyn Monroe, one of the biggest icons in Hollywood history, had been found dead. What really happened that night? Join Nina Bosky as she seeks to uncover both the life and tragic death of Marilyn Monroe and what keeps her so popular over 50 years later. Good Night Marilyn Radio, live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hospitality News Network for a look inside the travel, hotel, restaurant, and hospitality industry. Host Stephen Nicole and his guests will teach you everything you've wanted to know about this fascinating industry. Who knows? You might just want to change your own career path. At the very least, you might end up being a preferred customer. The Hospitality News Network is broadcast live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. 
call during our live broadcast with questions or comments at our toll-free number, 1-866-472-5788, or email Lori anytime at info at laurilynngreen.com. Here's your host, Lori Lynn Green. Welcome back. We have been talking about some very interesting things about weather, history, science, and a lot of things that I haven't even heard before. So <laughs> now we're going to get into it here with Ron Moore, continuing on with his purpose and passion and, and why it relates to all of us. So take it away, Ron. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, folks out there that listen to this, they think, yeah, this is what my wife used to tell me. She said, man, you're lucky to find what you love to do. I and mean, she's, she's a great accountant. And she does forensic accounting and stuff like that. And um, and she really enjoys it, and she's good at it. She said, but I'm not passionate about even that like you are this. And I was thinking about it, and I said, you know, I was really blessed for early part of my life. I think my grandfather gave me my first weather book when I was about nine, probably nine or ten. And then a teacher in Midland when I was 13, she knew I liked it. I'll never forget, she drove up to my front of my house. I'm out there dancing around in the front yard. I couldn't believe she drove up. She said, I knew you liked weather. Here's a bag. I've still got those, those two books she gave me also in my weather library. So I think it's a contribution of the people in your life could see your interest ahead of time. And I think in our society, sometimes we kind of diss the older generation and say, oh, I don't know anything, they don't understand Facebook and technology and stuff. They don't need to. If they're your parents and grandparents, they gave you DNA. And it might be a time for us to revisit some of those people. Thanksgiving week, Lori, this is a great time to go out and talk to our family and say, what did I like as a kid? What did you see me doing that you thought inspired me and inter- interested me? Where am I at today compared to who I was as a kid? Maybe I, I may be making good money and miserable. You know what I mean? Right. And that's not the way life was meant to be lived. That's not the way we were created to function and live that's for and sure. operate. And so I, looking back over my own life, I get to see all that. I remember my dad. It's kind of a funny one, too. My dad hated the storm chasing stuff. He'd been a cop before he was a minister. And he said, yes, it's dangerous, it's deadly. And yet at the same time, he's the first guy in Amarillo to take me to the weather station to help set up weather maps. He did it in Midland also. Lynn Slesnick was the meteorologist in Amarillo. I think he passed away a few years ago. My dad took me to meet him and said, my son wants to be a meteorologist. Can you show him now? And my dad didn't even like weather. Didn't even like science, but he got behind me. You know what I mean? He saw all that passion and vision there. Didn't like the storm chasing part, but he thought the other. He said, this is what you want to do. I want to encourage it and build on it. And, And I think for those of us who've got a few years behind us, that's a good thing. Go back and find what your passion are. I never left with meteorology for a few years in my 20s. I had a church in Florida in the inner city, and that's the time of my life I was reflecting and got into my early about 31, I think, or something like that. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go back for meteorology. I love this stuff. I mean, I was meeting the Weather right. Channel guys coming to Tampa. I'd go hang out with them when they came into town. And my wife said, do it. Let's do it. And so we went back. As you know, the story you gave me in the beginning, went back to FSU, got to do research work with some amazing scientists. I sat in a room and I thought, I'm getting paid to do this stuff, to study hurricanes and build these atlases and things. It was just really cool. And I think your listeners out there need to know, it doesn't matter what place you are in life, you can find your passion and begin to pursue that, which I intend to do here. I've gotten back in this strong at a point in life that's, most people are starting to think about all their retirement. I mean, I'm not close to that, but you know what I'm saying, coming into those middle years. I think they need to renew those passions because you know what? Our kids need to see that too. Uh, you know one of my sons, and he's passionate about what he does here in New Hampshire in the political process. He loves that. And I said, once you find that, you get a reason to wake up in the morning. You're, there's a reason to be studying. There's a reason, whatever yours entails. And um, I think that's really important. And the storm yeah, chasing I- part of it was just the adrenaline rush. It's not, you know, that's, that's, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Icing on the cake? There you go. Right. 
icing on the cake, being able to be out there with the family and all that stuff. Yeah, I like how you were saying how, yeah, our parents may have given us, you know, a great, great time to talk to them during the holiday, find out what, what their interests were, because even though it may not look exactly the same, it might be yeah. similar. Might be similar, and if it's not, uh, you know, we want to encourage parents to just help their kids find their own passion, even if it's different than theirs. <laughs> sure, absolutely. You know, and I think it goes both ways. I think you're exactly right. Finding about our life because we're not done yet. You're not done until you're done. Okay, as long as you're breathing, you're still around. And I don't care if you're 80 years old. There's still stuff in your life that needs to get out and be put on this planet. But for that eight-year-old sitting over there that's on the video game or playing or stuff like that, helping our kids find out what they're but they're really good. And I told, I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. One thing my dad said, he said, you'll never make money chasing storms. Well, that's not true. People do, they make very good money at it. They're full time mm-hmm. at this thing and have figured out how to do it in a lucrative way. As we all know, finding that niche where you make money, that can be a little bit difficult. But if you're already in love with it, it doesn't matter because the whole thing is a fun journey. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's all I did like, like the, uh, it makes me think of the the comments that people make about artists being starving artists. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I passed my passion for art down to my daughter who's in art school now. And nice. it's cool to watch her bring that out. So whatever exactly. mountain you're on, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, as far as the family, because Thanksgiving, Christmas is family. Really family and friends, but really you get down to that family, bringing it back together. We're actually this year going to be in Florida with my wife's family on the farm. Talk about good eating. Wow. Southern food, Thanksgiving, mm, all over the place. But <laughs> my kids do storm chasing. They don't even like storms. I mean, they like storm. They don't like weather. They're not scientists. They made my family. I'm the, I'm the only one. I didn't pass that down yet. Hopefully the grandbabies, you know, get some science out of those guys and girls. But um, they saw my passion, and they repeatedly told me, Dad, I don't want to ever live a life that doesn't have the kind of excitement that we get to live right now. That's and awesome. So we, we made the joke, you know, there used to be one that says the family that prays together stays together. Well, we say the family that chases together stays together. Because <laughs> you get hell in the plains. We're out in the middle of these storms. I'll just take a couple of minutes to explain this, how it works. We're out there in the plains, and most people, if, you, if you're from the Great Plains, you get my drift, you know what I'm saying. When a storm comes up out there, they call a supercell. They can be as high as 70,000 feet tall. That's, that's the, you know, the depth of the cloud. It becomes midnight in the middle of the day. It can actually be really fright winds, you know, the hail, the light, and everything else, and, of course, the tornadoes. But your sensory goes crazy. So over the years, my kids, we would assign each one of them a position. One had navigation. Uh, one had forecasting. And my wife helps with navigation, camera, and keeping me straight. So uh, that's a big job she's got there. But every year we're out there doing that, and we've come into a few places that were pretty dangerous, but generally been pretty safe. But they've been able to encounter all sorts of situations. And, and one thing I think our culture, two things we're not used to. We're not used to having close families anymore, which is sad. But I believe that can be fixed, Lori. I really do. I believe this Thanksgiving you can sit down with your family and start reconnecting. You can start getting the dots mm-hmm. reconnected again, renew the passion, bring everybody to the table. You know what I mean? Um, get past some of the obstacles get into the good things, what makes us common, what brings us together rather than just our last name, what is it we can come together with. That we built in our family for 20 years with, well, in ministry operating there, but in the world of meteorology and weather. But then letting people take responsibility. It's a big deal. We've stopped at a couple of crossroads out in West Texas, West Kansas, and I've said, which way do we go? We have 60 seconds to make a decision, and it'll determine whether we get any action or no action. And it's, it's a leadership decision, you know what I mean? Right. So the kids will give their feedback, 
and they'll say one year here in Morello, I went south by a mile or two, and everybody voted against me. They said we should be going north. And I stopped the car, pulled over, and Charlene said, really, you're going to listen to us? You're the weather guy. And I said, you guys might be on to something. You're looking at the radars and navigation. I flipped around, and we, I think that day we called six twisters up in the north. Right. In the middle of nowhere, beautiful. Weren't hurting anybody. Nobody got injured. But sometimes the smartest person in the group or the one who thinks they're smartest needs to step back and listen to the group, the team of leaders. You know what I mean? Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have a little too much pride to let somebody else in. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's another thing. Meteorology, when you see the debates in weather out there, weather and climate, you see them all over the place. I'm sure most of your listeners do, too. And pride's easy to get in the way. Everybody's got their position like they do on everything else. And when anybody's trying to refute your position, boy, you, you, you know, you're going to just start defending it. There comes a place in time in society where we have to sit back and say, let's have a real adult conversation about things and put all the stuff on the table and see where we really stand. And people want nations to do that and national leaders to do it, and presidents and Senate and Congress, but most households haven't done that yet. So again, Thursday, you know, spend some time together, put things on the table. Are you talking turkey or eating turkey? You can be talking about, hey, what are we as a family in a home? You know what I mean? That's where right. it starts. That's true. That is where it starts. And imagine that. I, I, I always look at the nation as a, a just a larger version of the family, and so we can oh, pretty yeah. much see what's happened to the family. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so definitely a good time to get back. Get back and uh, connect with your loved ones this week and, you know, just find out something about them. I've I've learned more about my parents the last decade than I knew my whole life um, because I was willing to listen to them. And, you know, when when you're younger, you don't want to do that so much. But (laughs) when you get older, you listen to them. And I found out my father did all kinds of adventures like you. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's the truth. And, you know, we could we share best from our personal perspective, and I know with my family and my sons, in fact, my wife, when she went into accounting, again, I bring it to the world of meteorology, knowing what I love, told my wife, I said, you know, you like accounting, but you're a forensic. She loved NCIS, all these shows. I said, you should be a forensic accountant. You run down money, and you find missing money and stashed away, audit, you know, she's just good at that. She's gotten into it. She's It's her skill set, man. She's not only good at it, she digs into it deep, and everybody, everybody has that kind of thing going on. Well, I would say this, too, about the, the world of weather. Uh, you know, when I started the storm warning a few years ago, we got it going. It was mostly to alert people that storms repeat. We can't actually see what's coming, and we can be prepared for what's coming. So we were building all kinds of systems and trying. We didn't want to recreate the wheel. That's just kind of, you know what I mean? Didn't want to be what everybody else was. So you kind of go through the, the cycle. What do, you, do you have emergency supplies? Do you have information? So my blog that you mentioned, Morecast, and the Facebook, I do that. I'm going to be doing Twitter, where we actually get out these forecast blogs where we say, be alert. We're pretty good this week, but next week a storm coming up, you know, stuff like that. But then I started buying up all these historical documents I've been telling you about. I started picking up uh, even old sermons online, I mean, from the 1700s. But I started picking up these letters, and at this time they were available three or four years ago and old books in meteorology and climate and reading where these guys came from and start doing research on the Internet about their backgrounds. And two things I found in common for most of them, now not perfectly, okay, so don't, don't take it as being the, the gospel, we'll say. But in general, many of these men and women had connections to family, strong family roots that had a belief in God. Now, whether people do disagree with that in their own family, that's, that's their thing, right? But these guys did have that, and amazingly, several of them 
and I mentioned him by name. I'll throw this guy's name out there. People can research it. Elias Loomis. I had him on his book with me the other day on the local show here with you. This guy memorized the New Testament in Greek by the time he was 10. Obviously a pretty smart guy, okay? But he found it that important to understand the old languages and the old literature and the ancient scripts that that would aid him in what he did in science, because by the time he's 20, he's already working as a meteorologist. He is one of the preeminent scientists of American history in the world of, of uh, arithmetic, astronomy, and meteorology. He, wow. He's one of the number one guys from the old university. And this guy just... So there, there was a link to family and to God. There really was. And that gave him a sort of stability to move forward on. We do lack that today. We lack the stability. We've got a lot of good toys and a lot of things you know, happening out there that make things really look cool on the TV screen, but, but that's not all what it is. That, you know, I, I think we have to rearrange things and bring things back down to a, I don't want to say a more simple perspective, but a more honest perspective. And I think what you're going to see in the next couple of years, I told my sons and my family, told my friends this, I said, in the next two years, you're going to see people gravitating back to history again. It's going to explode in every arena uh, because people are just going to want to know what is the real deal, what is the truth about a topic. Also, this end, I got a book recently, a, a math book, it's one of the oldest ones. It's 1770. It's the only one that I know that exists except in a few libraries. And it, I can't remember the title of it, but basically it's a book for young men and how to raise up a business. And this thing is detailed, 200 pages. And a lot of what's in there, I've showed it to a couple of people, doesn't even exist in our stuff today. One of the wow. things they expect is integrity and ethics. Wow. So it's, it's interesting how things have changed over time, you know, how you make your money, things like that. So I think history is going to play a big deal the next couple of years in every arena, even in meteorology. Well, I, I hope history does. I know I've, I've gotten a new interest in history myself because uh, I think it's important to know the origins of things, to know yeah. where they come from, why, they, why the, the findings in history were important and how they relate to today. Yeah. Yeah, so it no doesn't, doesn't really matter what you're talking about. I mean, it could be weather or anything, but... Um. Any, any field, and, that, and that's the cool point. That is what's so amazing about this, what we're talking about. We're talking meteorology because that's my passion, uh, and yours is bringing people together and finding the greatest potential. Uh, there's people out there with all kinds of areas that they love, and, and I would encourage them to start researching things. Maybe you bring something back that's old that everybody thinks is new, and it's a gazillion-dollar idea. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's... And by the way, it's great to create businesses because you give people jobs. You want to improve an economy, start a company, pay good wages because you're making good money, and it's, it's awesome. That's the American dream. That's how we do it. And um, I, I think it's no different for any field. Um, I think I mentioned to you about Sir Isaac Newton, too. This guy established so much of what we know in science today, even in the world of meteorology. Sir Isaac Newton wrote twice as much about the Bible and God as he did about science. No kidding. It's incredible. Yeah, twice as much, okay? That wasn't known until a few years ago. There's a whole story behind it, no time here to tell it. But those pages of his, we'll call them theological works, sell for twice as much as his scientific works. And his scientific works are amazing. Because people wanted to know, we know how smart Isaac Newton was, but we didn't know he knew anything about God. So what was it he thought about God in the Bible to make him smart in science? And that's a story for another day. <laughs> yeah, but we've actually, you and I have talked about this before, that science, yeah. science is a great resource or a great way to show that the Bible is true, but it's, 
but it's still very limited because there's still always more to find out, more to discover. Yes, exactly. And that's what Isaac Newton said. Uh, it's what any of these guys said. Francis Bacon, we just mentioned the scientific method. The only reason we have a scientific method, and we use it all the time, when you do dissertations, anytime you're coming up with a new theory, uh, we've got lots of them out there, you're using Francis Bacon's method. And he came up with that because there had to be order, and he said if there's a creator, there has to be an order to things. Therefore, there should be an order to how we discover things. It should be a process. Uh, for a better word, call the scientific method a vetting process. Mm-hmm. It sets ideas. It lets you know which ones stink and which ones are worthy of standing. If they're worthy right. of standing, you keep on taking them on. Yeah, well, the they, chaos, they've been tested. That, yeah, if you don't believe in cre- uh, creator, if you don't believe there's some order to to the world around us, then you'll never find that. So it's that's pretty right. important, really, you know? Well, that's a foundational thing. No matter what you build, if you don't have the foundational thing, uh, who knows if it'll stand. <laughs> yeah, no, you nailed it. That's a, key, a perfect word foundation. It's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I think most arenas, you know, you see it in government, people going back and say, my, my son's really big into that. He loves Constitution. And you know, he used to ask me questions a year or two ago. I said, dude, you are beyond me. I've taught you what I knew. I thought I knew a lot. And you're digging in with more books and I have no clue who you're talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't yeah, he's kind of smart. Get around smart people. Yeah, he, he's smart. But he, again, he's, you know, he found a passion for something. And it was at a time when he wasn't sure what he was going to be doing. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, you know, he had a dad like you who was like, well, what is it that you like? You helped him think about that so that he could say, hey, I like this. And, and didn't you even help provide him with some, some starter books on that? Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, yeah, you you're, you're got it. In the home we hit it, we did it. Uh, and it's been really funny the last year or two watching him, like anybody can do with your kids. I've watched him grow, and now he has all this counsel outside of me. He'll come home and say, man, I talked to three people today, and these are people we all both have high regard for, high respect. He said, they said exactly what you said. And I'm not feeling haughty. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> you know, they got these smart, accomplished people. You know, I'm thinking straight. I'm feeding my son straight, and that's good. And, and I believe that's one thing. that It doesn't just make America great because Thanksgiving is our holiday. That's what makes any country to any part of this planet great, is when you have free thinking and able people who can believe that there is a reason for their life, life and a purpose for their life can grab hold of that and move forward, whether it's weather and chasing storms or whether it's, it could be cutting hair, it could be digging ditches a different way. I mean, I, there's so much creativity out there, people just, it, it's to be tapped into. I heard old barbershops are coming back. Did you know that? The old barbers huh. are, are I mean, you know, nothing new under the sun, you know? There's there's a lot of nostalgic things coming back. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and I think there's a reason for that. People people kind of like the simplicity of the way things were, and uh, we've we've made things so much more complicated than we need to. So uh, we got about a minute... We got about a minute left of the show, so I really want to give you time to share a little bit about... uh, You have a book called... um, Yeah, Yeah, the Storm Warriors, called Storm Warriors... Saving a King. So if you go to Amazon.com, you put in Storm Warrior Saving a King, it'll bring it up. It's our first in the series. We actually had a team work on this. We had a, a, a couple of editors help me, and I had an illustrator, so it wasn't all me. But the idea is real chases, it's real events, it's real timelines. The timelines are not even made up. Uh, and so obviously there's some because you go back in history chasing storms. And I'll give you the hint on Saving a King. It's someone very famous who really did almost die in a tornado. Everybody in the world knows this guy. But most people don't know he nearly died in a twister. And these kids, Charlie and Cindy, go back with this figure in history, 
and, and they, they save him to get involved in the whole situation. It's, it's pretty graphical. Sometimes it really describes the action that's out of a tornado based on what we've been through as a family. But it's historically accurate. It teaches, but it's hopefully a lot of fun. That's the feedback we're getting. People are All right, so Storm Warriors Chasing a King by Ron Moore. Saving a King. Storm Warriors Saving a King. All right, excellent. And they can also find you on uh, thestormwarning.com. We are out of time, but uh, we thank you so much for coming on today, Ron. Appreciate uh, what you you shared with us. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. In It Together with Lori Lynn Green airs every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in next week and remember, we're in it together.